Well, good morning. Happy to, to be here with you guys this morning, worshiping. If you want to go ahead and get your, uh, your Bibles out, we're going to uh, be in 1 Peter chapter 2 again this morning. We're going to be finishing out our time together here in chapter 2. Um, and if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can look underneath a seat near you. Um, you are going to need a Bible this morning, I will tell you that. Uh, we are going to be deeply into the Word. We're going to be referencing God's Word, using it as the standard of truth, as we do every day. But this morning, we're going we're to dive into a lot of Scripture. So definitely pull out a Bible. You'll find one, again, underneath a seat near you um, or beside you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. That's our gift to you this morning. Again, we'll be finishing up chapter 2 today um, as we walk line by line and verse by verse through the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to the Christians under persecution in Asia Minor. If you couldn't be with us last week, we dove into chapter 2 uh, and, and opened up in it where Peter described that those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, that we are called a living stone. We are called to be living stones. It, just that Jesus was a living stone, and like Jesus, we are, when we come to him, we are called to be living stones in him. And we are also, uh, the, the Bible tells us, First Peter told us last week, we are also living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. And when we dug into that, we noticed that that spiritual house that he's talking about is the church. Right? Not necessarily the one you're sitting in, but the capital C church, the, the, the overall combined body of believers in Christ all of God's people. And Peter described a few roles last week as, as we are living stones, what we, the few roles we have as the church. That we first were to live a life desiring and depending on God's word. That we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, to serve and to love people the way that Jesus commands us to do. And finally, that as living stones... We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We're to push and to grow the kingdom of God. The whole point of the text last week is that we should be living a life as living stones trying to walk like Jesus, stirring to, uh, to act, you know, striving to love and to serve just as Jesus did when he walked on this earth. Today, as we transition from verse, uh, from verse uh, 12 into verse 13... Peter's going to continue to show us what it looks like to live a life as a living stone, to live like Jesus in Christ-likeness. As, as we think about being Christ-like in a world that we don't belong, right, a world that Peter tells us in verse 1, chapter 1, that we are exiled in, in a world that's going to persecute us for striving to be like our Father, a question, right? As we talk about how do we live in this world, one question that's going to come up is this. How do we, as living stones, live under the authority of the world? Now, this can be a tough question, right? especially for us Americans, especially as Americans in today's world, in today's day and age. When we begin to speak about the authority that we live under here in the United States, what entity comes to mind? Government. So how do we as Christians, living in a world that we don't belong in, going against the tide of everything the lost world is pushing towards, how do we live under the authority of government? Well, this morning, the Apostle Peter is going to answer that question for us. And we're going we're gonna to dive right into the word here. No frills, uh, no build up, just straight in the word. But before we do, 
Before we dig in, I want to say this. No matter what side of the fence that you, you stand on politically, no matter what thoughts you have on the hot topics of politics today, no matter what, uh, how, how set in your ways you are, no matter uh, what opinions you may have, we have to understand that as Christ followers, there is only one constant truth in our lives, and that is the Word of God. No matter what our feelings or opinions are, the only truth that our faith is in is in the truth of God's Word. And that's where our faith lies. That's the foundation we stand on. Now, a lot of times the Lord can command us to do things that we think might, like they sound weird. Or maybe the Lord commands us to do things that we don't want to do. How many of you all know the story of Jonah? Show of hands. Okay, quite a few of you. If you're in this room and you don't know the story of Jonah, I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version of Jonah really quickly here. There was this guy named Jonah. And one day the Lord spoke to Jonah and he said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and call them out because they're an evil city. And if they don't repent, I'm going to give them my wrath. And Jonah doesn't like the people of Nineveh, doesn't like the Ninevites. And he says, I'm not going to Nineveh. I hate those people. So he runs from the Lord. Jonah is given the command from God. He doesn't like it. And he says, ah, I don't want to do that. I'm gone. He goes to the docks. He finds a ship heading out of town. He hops on it. Then the Lord brought a great storm up on the seas. And the ship that jo Jonah was sailing on was being threatened of being torn apart. And the captain, he goes to Jonah, who's in the bow of the ship, sleeping. He says, you know anything what's going on with this storm? Like, what, you, know, you know what's up with this? Why the Lord is doing this? And Jonah says, yeah, it's probably because the Lord commanded me to go to Nineveh. I don't like those people, so I bolted out of town, and the Lord's not happy about it. So the captain of the ship next throws Jonah off the boat, right in the water, tosses him right off. The storm stops, and a big fish comes up and swallows Jonah. This is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I swear. You can, you can, you can find it. The Lord swallows up Jonah by, with a big fish. And while Jonah is in the belly of this fish, he begins to pray, and he repents to the Lord. He repents for running away from the Lord. And the Lord forgives Jonah and vomits him up, has the fish vomit him up onto dry land. And he says, all right, get up, get your butt to Nineveh. The point of me telling you this story, the point of recapping the story of Jonah, is that we might not always understand the commands God gives us, and we might not always like the commands that God gives us. But we better do what we're told. Amen? Amen? All right, let's dig in. How do we live, how do we, as living stones, live under the authority of the world? The first thing the word tells us is this. We are to submit to every ordinance of man. Look with me in verse 13 of chapter 2. Peter says this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So notice here that Peter says that we are to be subject for the Lord's sake. Right? This is a command. This is a command from God's word this morning. We are to submit to this command because as Christ followers, we are called to obey the commands of the Lord. His command here is to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. 
Now, before you start to dislike Peter for what he's saying, know that it's not only Peter who says this. It's not only Peter who the Lord gave this commandment to. He also gave it to the apostle Paul. Paul gives almost the exact same account, uh, the same command from the Lord to the letter he wrote to the Christians in Rome. We're going to have it on the screen here. I'm going to read Romans 13 verses 1 through 2 says this. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. So both Peter and Paul both state that we are to submit to governing authorities, to the rule of governing authorities, because these authorities were placed by God under his sovereign rule. Now, if you're like me in this room, the first time I read this, I was offended. I got my toes stepped on by the Lord. I was scratching my head going, so am I really supposed to submit to the government? The, fed, the federal government, you know, Lord, the, the one in Washington? Am I really supposed to do everything they say? Well, let's take some time and just dig deeper. All right, let's expand our view here in God's word. Both Peter and Paul, what they're stating here is that we are to be subject and submit to the ordinances of man. Right, we're to follow the laws and the statutes placed by rulers in every level of government. Notice that, that Peter says, from the king or the emperor down to the governors. So that we're an example of righteousness. Right, so when they look at us, as they persecute us, they, they can't find anyone who's hiding under the freedom of Christ. Who's, who's hidden away, who's doing unlawful things under the, the cloak of the gospel. So that when they see us, they see us as a as an example of righteousness, just as Christ was. We follow the laws. We follow God's word. It is righteous, and it brings glory to the Lord. However, are we supposed to follow the laws of man if it goes against God's word? Now, I have an opinion here, but my opinion does not matter. Let's go to the word for the ultimate authority on that question. If you would turn with me to Acts 5, chapter 5, we need starting in verse 27. As you're turning there, in this text, what you will see here is that Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He's been, he's been hung on the cross and died, and three days later he rose, and he walked around earth, and now it's the time for him to ascend into heaven. And he's ascended in chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. And the apostles now are running around Judea near Jerusalem, and they're just spreading the gospel. Right? They're just witnessing about everything they saw Jesus do. They're doing exactly as they were commanded by God to do. The same guy who had Jesus hung on the cross, he had all the apostles rounded up and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. But during the night, the text before this tells us that an angel came and he opened up the prison doors and he brought the men out and he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of this life in Christ. And the next day, the apostles did exactly as they were told. And the Pharisees, when they woke up the next morning, were in amazement that the men that they had just thrown in jail the night before somehow got out and the gates were still locked and the guards were still standing out front. And these men are now standing in the temple preaching the gospel again, defying their order to stop. 
And that's where we're going to pick up the text here in Acts 5.27. Read with me, uh, starting in verse 27. It says this, And when they had brought them, the Pharisees, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man, Jesus' blood, upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they, the Pharisees, heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thedius rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men about 400 joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God... You will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles back in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they, the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor in his name. And here we go. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Peter himself stated here, and when man's commands go against the Lord's, we are to obey God over man. So take a breath. They hear that again. We are to obey God's commands over man's when it comes, to, uh, when it uh, complicates between the word in the rules of man. Peter himself stated that the Lord has commanded us that we are to go and spread the gospel of Jesus. If the government tries to impede that, we stand on God's commands to go not on our government's commands to stop. However, just like the apostles did here, we must still honor the laws of man. Again, Peter tells us we must submit to the laws of man, even in this, even when this happens. Notice these men were breaking the laws of men. They knew they were. And since they must be subject to those laws, they did not protest the punishment that they got. They did not protest the punishment of breaking an ordinance of man. They were beaten. They didn't fight the beatings. Instead, they took them and went on their way rejoicing that they got to suffer for the name of Christ. And every day that they went back, and that, I'm sorry, that very next day they went back preaching the gospel. They continued to preach the gospel. They never protested the punishment 
because they must submit to the laws of man. We are still subject to the ordinance of man. And next, Peter will continue to show us that we must honor that authority, even if it means suffering. Look at me in verses 18 through 20 back in Acts, or I'm sorry, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 18 says this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Here Peter discusses the submissions of servants to their masters. In this original context that Peter's writing in to his original audience, the people of of Asia Minor, Peter is talking about the relationship between slave and slave owner. And before we we go into that, let me first address this quickly, the topic of slavery uh, in this time that that Peter is writing this letter. If you were with us through the summer in core group, we walked verse by verse and line by line through the book of Colossians, and we talked about slavery uh, a lot in that. Um, If you weren't here with us, understand this, that the context of slavery during this time is vastly different from what was experienced during the past 250 years in American history, right? The context of slavery in Peter's time was based largely on economics and being conquered in war and not on race. People in this time often sold themselves into slavery in order to survive outside of poverty. In order to make a living, they would sell, sell themselves into indentured servitude. The point we're making here is that slavery was an element of, t- of this time in this society. The purpose here of this text, it, this specific text, is not to preach against slavery. The gospel, we know, does that. The gospel preaches against slavery. All are equal under Christ. The purpose here is to show Christ followers who are in indentured servitude how to live in Christ's likeness in that relationship. And in our context how we are both to submit to the authority of government and the authority of, uh, of our bosses in the workplace. Right? Here's how we're supposed to submit at the workplace. Peter states that in the workplace, we are to be subject to those who are over us, right? our bosses, our managers. If you remember back, we talked about this as we walked. Paul has, has, has almost the exact same thing about this as we walked through the book of Colossians. Even if they persecute you and treat you unjustly, you are still supposed to submit under their leadership. How many of us have been treated unjustly at work? Show of hands. Right. It exists. Many of us have been treated unjustly in the workplace, treated badly by a superior, uh, even though we didn't deserve it. Maybe we did nothing wrong. Peter states here that if you are innocent of wrongdoing and are punished, he says that this is something to be thankful for. Just as the disciples in Acts 5, as we were just reading, were rejoicing for being beaten for the gospel. Peter says, for this is a gracious thing or a thankful thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Because it is gracious and acceptable to God for his glory. And this is even applicable outside of the workplace, just in everyday life. 
as we're persecuted for our faith in everyday life. Remember, Peter is writing to a people here that are being persecuted violently for preaching the gospel. If you're being persecuted, if you're being treated unjustly, the word, tell, the word here tells you to submit to it and be thankful. To hold fast in it. Remember what Peter said at the end of chapter 1, if you were with us, that the gospel of Jesus remains forever. And you have an internal, eternal inheritance that cannot be taken away from you. No matter how much persecution you're under, no matter how much the world uh, comes at you with injustice, uh, no matter how much of that injustice comes your way, you belong in heaven. Your inheritance is in paradise with Jesus, and it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You are sustained forever by the blood of Jesus. And so when you're in that persecution, you have to know you are sustained forever by Christ. And that persecution will, will come. Does everybody in here know what an anvil is? Blacksmiths use an anvil to help shape hot steel that they're smithing. Right, anvils are design, designed to be struck over and over and over again with a hammer and not break. Charles Spurgeon has an incredible illustration of the likeness of a Christ follower to an anvil. Charles says that when an anvil and a hammer are used together, he says this. There's a conversation between them. It's like this. The hammer said, I will break the anvil. The anvil did not answer but abode in its place. While the hammer smote it day after day, month after month, year after year, the anvil patiently received the blows, but after a while the hammer broke. And though it did not say so, for it was too quiet to speak, the anvil might have said, I have broken hundreds of hammers before, and I shall break hundreds more by patience and endurance. It is so with Christ and his church and his gospel. The persecutor may smite and smite and smite. The true Christian makes no reply, but patiently bears. And in the long run, that patient endurance will break the persecutor down. Why is Peter calling us to do that? Why would God's word tell us that when we are being treated unjustly, that being beaten down and by persecution to continue? In, in, these, in these people's uh, case, the people of Asia Minor, they're being burned at the stake. Right, they're being beheaded and, and crucified. Why is Peter telling us to continue to submit to the authority of the people who are persecuting us? Why is he making such a big uh, deal to endure persecution and unjust treatment, to be subject to it? Because we, as Christ followers, are called to walk like Jesus. Let's get our eyes on the text. Verse 21 through 25 says this. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Notice how Peter opens up. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his footsteps. We are called here in God's word to walk like Jesus. Jesus, such an amazing savior in God that he did not ask us to do anything that he did not first do for us. He is asking us only to follow in the exact same footsteps to live as a living stone just as he did. Jesus uh, bore our sins on the cross. The word tells us he did so sinlessly. He committed no sin. Even as he was being beaten, beaten and nailed to the cross, he was innocent. And he bore our sins on the cross. And as he did it, he still remained perfect. He did not threaten the people who were treating him unjustly. He was without sin, and yet he took on the punishment of sin without protest. And he is glorified for it. Right? Through that, he is glorified for that work. And that is who we are called to be like. We are to follow in his steps, to mimic his every move. The text today has called us as followers of Jesus to submit to every ordinance of man, even if it means suffering, because we are called to walk like Jesus did. So that through our interaction with the world, the the righteousness of Jesus would be seen through our actions as we follow his commands through his word. And that's it. Right, that's it right there, church. We strive to be like Jesus, like living stones so that he will be known and glorified in the world. So Christ follower in the room, when you submit to the word of God, even in his will for you to submit to the ordinance of man, he will be glorified. Right? The world will see. that It's going to look so uncommon to the world when you're taking shot after shot after shot on the chin and still responding in righteousness. Right, maybe someone has, has drugged you here and you, just to church to hear this preaching and you're like, I don't know this Jesus guy and I don't know, maybe I know Jesus, but I don't, I don't really think he did it. What's, what's he have to do with me? What's, what did the cross have to do with me? If you haven't given your life over to him, then these last few verses in 1 Peter chapter 2 are also for you. Right, not just for the Christ follower, but also for you. You need to hear that Jesus was sinless. 33 years on earth, never made a mistake. He was guilty of nothing. He lived every day perfectly. And he had to be perfect. In order for his blood to cover our sins, it had to be spotless and without blemish. He was innocent of sin, but took the death penalty for us. As if we had committed murder in a courtroom... And Jesus, who was innocent, came before the judge as right as we were getting sentenced and said, I'll take the penalty. We committed the crime. Jesus took the sentence. And all so that we could be righteous in God's eyes and spend eternity in heaven with him. That's how much he loves you. If you don't know Jesus today, know this about him. He loves you that much. That though you are imperfect and prone to sin... And prone to be wicked because we are all wicked, right? Even on our best day, everyone in here, 
all wicked on our best day. So when you see Christ, followers at the Rock Bible Church, taking persecution on the chin, continuing to love those who are persecuting them and submit to them, continue to honor them, no, it's not because we are a good people. Right? That we're just a group of, of great people. It's because we have been saved from a death that we, de- that we deserved by a God who loved us enough to die in our place. And he has called us to love like he did. He has called us to act as he acted. He has called us to be righteous as he was righteous, to be a holy priesthood. So if you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, give your life over to him today. Right? Start following him today. Become a living stone today. Start walking like him right now. That's my prayer for us. That as followers of Christ in this room, that as persecution comes, and as we walk through the world in, in, a, in, a, in an unsettled United States of America right now, that we would abide in the laws of the men that God has put over us, that we would stand firm on God's word, and that if we don't know Christ in this room today, we would open our hearts to him, see what he did for you, see that he shed his blood for you, that he was the atonement of your sins, that he paid your debt even though he was innocent. Today, I pray for that for us as a church, both non-believers and believers in this room. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for the, the gospel. Lord, we thank you for this, this message that you've given us, God, that this, this, this action you've given us, this sacrifice you've given us, God. Without you, we would all be dead. Every single one of us in this room would be eternally dead. There would be no reason to be here. But because of you and your actions and your love and your gospel, we are here to celebrate and worship you for that, Father. And as we do that, Lord, as we are transformed by this gospel, as we begin to think differently, and sometimes, Lord, it's not going to make sense to the world the way that we're acting. And we know that when they question why we would stand persecution and still submit to authority that you have put in place, When the world asks that question, we can just respond resounding because of you, because Jesus has commanded me to live this way, because Jesus is full of grace, because Jesus has died for my sin and he can die for, and he has died for your sin and he can rescue you as non-believers. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would make that evident in our lives this week, that as followers of, of you. as as a people dedicated to walking in your footsteps, Lord, that we would have opportunities to submit persecution so that you would be glorified. Use us in that way this week, Lord. Father, I pray that for the people in this room who do not know you, Father, that they heard these last four verses, that it sinks into their heart, Father, that people are dying without you. And that, Lord, today, right now in this room, that someone would come to you on their knees submit their lives to you and begin to walk like you. That they would see the death, burial, and resurrection and what it did for them. That your love alone was placed on display the day that you had nails driven through your hands and your feet. That you were beaten. That you were hung on that cross to die for our sins. And Lord, we glorify you for that and that today we would see your glory, Father. Our prayer, our fervent prayer is that people in this room, people in this city, people in this county, people in this state, people in the world, rise up, give their lives over to you and begin to walk 
with you and to go for you. And that's what we pray this morning, Lord. We worship you. We love you. It's in your name. We pray all things, Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand with us as we close and worship? We sing to our great King.